My name is Katie, and I'm grateful um, marijuana addict in Tennessee. Um, my sobriety date is June 1st, 2016, and I'm very thankful for that as well. Um, I first got sober on these phone lines as well as in um, land meetings of AA because there's no NA land meetings where I live. Um, so these phone lines are very special to me, and I just want to um, encourage any newcomers or anyone struggling with their faith in recovery um, that it really does get better, and these phone lines are, are a wonderful support. So, um, um, so I'm to start with my family. Um, three of my four grandparents are alcoholics, and um, I I heard that growing up, and so I was I was really um, afraid of alcohol. Uh, I didn't I didn't drink until. Well, I was a senior in high school. It's kind of late for some people. <laughs> it's all relative. Um, but I, w- I was really afraid of uh, developing a dependence with alcohol because I'd always heard about my grandparents, um, how bad off they were. My dad was a, definitely a heavy drinker when I was younger. Um, and I, I witnessed things related to that with my parents, a lot of conflict. And so... Um, um, I, I really tried to avoid alcohol. I mean, I, I would drink wine and things, but I try to control it that way by saying, like, I only drink wine. But, um, I started smoking marijuana um, my freshman or sophomore year of college. Um, and looking back, I realized, you know, I did that to avoid drinking Um you know, I could say, like, well, I, you know, weed is, is not bad at all. You know, nobody ever overdosed on weed. Uh, you don't have these deadly withdrawals from it. It should be legal and it should be okay and socially accepted. Um, and uh, anyway, I started out, um, you know, I would smoke with my boyfriend, friend, that's my baby. <laughs> um Smoke, you know, whenever it was around. Um, I lived at home in college and also worked. And, um, you know, I definitely, and I also I always had a boyfriend that smoked weed. So it was just kind of around a lot. And I would, of course, gravitate towards places where it would be available. And then I remember when I bought um, my first bike, um, bought it with a friend of mine. And I, I remember thinking, like, oh, this is real. I have. You know, I have a real issue now. I have a real habit. I've got my own pipe now. Uh, I would buy di- we would buy dime bags in a shady part of town. And um, I would smoke at nighttime, like every night in college, in my attic of my parents' house. And, you know, try to control it that way. I would say, oh, it's only at night, or oh, it's only on the weekend. Um and I was still maintaining this illusion of functioning well. I made fairly good grades in college. I had a job. Um, I went on to nursing school, and I didn't smoke in nursing school. I took, a, like, a three-year break because I really wanted to get through school. So I was able to do that. Um, just lived on diet sodas, candy, and cigarettes, and coffee. Um, and then I started back again when I was a brand-new nurse. Um, 
I was working in a pediatric hospital here in my hometown, and I was working nights, which is pretty stressful. Um, it's really unnatural to do not work night shifts, and um, causes a lot of stress hormones in the body. It was also a really hostile work environment I worked in. It, it, it felt hostile to me. It was. I'm learning just in sobriety what a sensitive person I am, and I always have been. And I was always kind of uh, shamed for that in my family, like, oh, just get over it. You're too sensitive. Um, I, I, it was not okay to cry or talk about painful things in my household growing up. So I would say my inclination to hide things and cover up my feelings came from many angles. I don't know what the exact cause was, but I can definitely see, you know, what may have contributed to it, which was either genetic stuff uh, and also environmental things like that, just not being okay. And my, my mom to this day, I mean, she just, it's so hard for her to say painful things. She just would rather smile and press on. And I, in a way, find that really admirable. And I know that's how she has survived a lot of pain in her life. Both of my parents have very painful childhoods. And um, I learned more about them in sobriety as well. And it's just made me, my heart go out to them and to love them so much more, especially in the forgiveness process. Um, so there's that. And I, I'm just a very sensitive person. And um, um that definitely um, affected my feelings as a nurse, a new nurse working with sick children. It's very sad. And in a sad place on nights, I felt very alone on this night shift deal. And um, I would have panic attacks at, at work. I mean, just, just feeling anxious, and I would cry and <laughs> cry before going into work. So I found weed again. I found a friend of mine I used to work with on MySpace, if anyone remembers MySpace, his page was covered in pictures of marijuana weed. So I figured he might know something about it. So I sent him a message asking him if he knew. He said he grew it and he'd be happy to hook me up. And he did. And that's the only person I got my weed from during the last, um, I mean, the, the next, like, 18 years of my habit, 17 or 18 years. Um so there it started again. That was my mid-20s, and um, I was feeling really good. I was like, this is so working for me. I can come into work high. I don't feel this anxiety. My boyfriend and I are getting along better. We're not having any arguments because I'm not feeling so sensitive. Um, I really felt it was like a miracle, and um I hid it from my my boyfriend. He's not my husband. My boyfriend. I hid it from him. Um, he grew up in a family of heavy drug users and really really didn't like me smoking weed. So I hid it from him. Um, and when he would bring it up, I would say, well, you have you, know, you have a beer every now and then after work. I can have a joint whenever I want, you know, every now and then. But it wasn't every now and then. It was all day, every day. <laughs> I, it makes me sad now that I don't remember. Um, I don't remember getting like super excited about our wedding when we got married. 
We've been married for almost 11 years now. Um, and to make it easy, I just we just went with a place that had like a package, uh, a package deal. All I had to do was show up, and that's exactly what I did. Um, I was giggling throughout the ceremony because I was so uncomfortable and nervous with my, this, you know, very sacred, special occasion. I was so uncomfortable in my skin, which really just defines like the first. Sorry, um, the majority of my childhood and adult years was feeling that way, just feeling uncomfortable with who I am, um, feeling uncomfortable with vulnerability, with honesty, obviously, and you know, I I really I really had no idea how kind of lost I was. Um, I knew I wanted to be with my husband, and so, you know, I I knew I wanted to marry him, but uh, I just wasn't present at all. And uh, I also had a lot of risky behaviors when we were dating. Um, I cheated on him with someone, and um, I also, like, went to Hawaii to see a friend of mine. And uh, on the way back from Hawaii, which is a long plane ride, I met a guy on the airplane and just hung out with him for two days in Chicago. Total stranger. Could have been a murderer. Could have been some crazy man. He wasn't, thank God. But just just crazy stuff like that. Um, You know, always attempting to escape what was real and uh, thinking that I wasn't enough. Really, it was the definition looking back on most of my life. Um, So anyway, I was um, uh, stoned in our marriage, I mean, in our wedding ceremony. Um, Went through terrible withdrawals during our two-and-a-half-week honeymoon in Europe, which was turned into um, having a really big fight on our honeymoon. My husband planned this beautiful honeymoon for us. And I was so ungrateful. I was so ungrateful. Um, you know, I can't do it over, but it, it does make me sad looking back on it. Um, I thought, like, we would be here again. We went to Switzerland and Italy. It was so sweet. And um, we had a big fight. But almost, I mean, we talked about getting divorced on our honeymoon. So sad. So um, God bless my husband for sticking with me, man. I was not easy to live with. And... Um, Really moody. Blamed him for everything. I was always a victim. Um, always making him the bad guy. Always telling him how great I was, or it actually implying that. So um, <clears throat> we had um, two children the first two years of our marriage, and when my daughter was ten months old, my husband left. Um. And he left because he was having an affair. And an affair went on for about nine months. the long-distance affair. And um, it was about four months of him being gone before I realized it was an affair. And, of course, the whole time he left, I mean, it's easy to do, like, look at this bad guy. He's treating me so bad. I've been wronged. I'm a victim again. Um, I was so angry. But the blessing of this pain, which I feel like was the universe, my higher power, whatever we call it, 
just giving me a huge ass wake up call is what I needed. I needed to be humbled and brought to my knees and slapped in the face to realize, like, I really had a problem. Um, and uh, I had lunch with his cousin one day, right after I found out about the affair. She's a really sweet person. And she told me she was celebrating a year of being clean from opiates. I had no idea. And uh, I was like, oh, that's, that's amazing. How do you... How do you do that? He's like, well, I go to, I go to AA meetings. And um, I was like, oh, you know, I smoke a little bit of, of marijuana. <laughs> of course, by then, it was a lot of marijuana. I was smoking in front of my kids. I smoked in the car with my kids on the way to dropping them off to preschool. I was smoking um, in the bathroom at work sometimes with my vaporizer. Just craziness. Um, so she invited me to this to a meeting, or she recommended one. And I went to this meeting, and um, I really felt like a fraud. I was like, well, it's just weed, you know. It's just weed, and I'm just a really bad uh, overspender, part of my addiction. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll just see what they have to say. I really don't belong here. And they, uh, they knew I was a newcomer. And I'll never forget what this one man said to me. He looked at me in the eyes and said, you don't have to do this anymore. You don't have to drink or pick up a joint ever again. And I'll never imagine how liberating I have this stump. <laughs> I never imagined how liberating it would be to hear that. And he said, It's time to give yourself a chance. It's time to give the real Katie a chance. And uh oh man, it still gets me like there was so much truth in that. It was time. And I had not been myself for 20 years, at least. Um, so I went on to be sober June 1st. Um, I called in the MA meetings. And I just I just never knew. Like, I always felt so alone. I was so isolated in my basement. Um, you know, I smoked weed in the bathroom with my kids on the other side of the door. Open the window. And, you know, I didn't have, like... Weed buddies. I had one friend from nursing school that we're still really good friends, but she's never she's uh, doesn't live in my city. So I, I smoked weed by myself. It's like really isolating. And here I am trying to be this like amazing mom and you know this, um, nurse person. I went to grad school. Which I went to a really good school, thinking I was just really hot stuff, getting high every day, making grad school good grades. But I was really dying on the inside. I was so empty and so alone. I didn't have any close friends. Um, you know, I could obviously like push my husband away. It's not my fault that he cheated, but I did. I did. I did very much contribute to our marriage being broken by being so absent and unavailable and hostile to him. Um, so right soon after I uh, got sober, you know, I, I told him about it. And that was a turning point for him. Um, he uh, he also, I guess, didn't realize what and you know, he didn't realize how how much I was smoking. And um, seeing me get sober uh, brought him helped motivate him to come back to our marriage. So I am forever thankful for um, for being sober and for 
NA and my home home group support in my city. And what sobriety looks like for me is just a lovely, colorful world full of human connections. Um, I did not grow up in a home with um, any kind of religion. My dad did not was afraid to send me to church because he was afraid I was going to get brainwashed. He's a very fearful man. <laughs> um, so I I feel kind of I guess in a way lucky I didn't grow up with some um, institutionalized like concept of God because I've seen a lot of people struggle with that. They've had to like get rid of that concept to make a new one. Um, I did. I mean, I live in the south, in the south, but you know, so many folks here go to church, and it's a very conservative area. Um, so I, I did. I saw these people growing up. I was friends with. I'm friends with a lot of different kind of people, and. I would think to myself, like, how do they have that faith? Like, you know, how does how does that work for them? I want that. And I felt actually so full of shame that I did not have that and that whatever they were doing was foreign to me. And they would talk about, oh, that's a God thing. You know, God bless you. God's, God's going to take care of it. And I just never understood it. Um, and it didn't help that, like, my dad made fun of these people and my husband actually does too. So being so cynical about it did not help. And um, I really wasn't sure if uh, 12 steps would work for me because I was like, man, this can only work in like a certain world. You know, I'm too this. I'm too cynical. Uh, I'm too far gone. I'm too educated. Whatever. You know, t- to grasp all this. I just wasn't sure if it would work for me. And I actually shared in one of my land meetings, I was chairing a meeting one day, and I told them I was struggling with this higher power. And uh, I said, I'd like that to be the topic today, if you don't mind. <laughs> and y'all can share with me how you access this higher power you speak of. And a friend of mine afterwards was like, so I I, I hear what you're saying. Um, maybe you could listen to the CD I have of Marianne, uh, Marianne Williamson. I think it was her, some, it was called, it was called Return to Love. It's so good. It's on YouTube and uh, I have it on Audible as well. But it's free on YouTube if y'all want to listen to it. It's amazing. Just hearing her talk about God, um, the love that God is, or higher power, um, it really helped me. It helped me develop a concept of a higher power that works for me. And, you know, I can say God to make it relatable and easy. But a lot of times what helps me is just to say, like, what would love do? What would love do right now? That's my higher power. I want to be loved. I was not acting in love before I got sober. I was in fear all the time. I was driven by fear all the time. I would even pray for things to go wrong sometimes, or I would not pray, but I would hope for to do something stupid or bad or hurtful so that I could then be driven by guilt, like driven by something, um, just like not free at all. Um, I don't know, seeing the magic that love can do uh, keeps me sober. I see it almost on a daily basis. Um, I see it where I work. I work with babies in the newborn ICU at a hospital. 
And we have really sick babies. They're like the sickest babies in the region where I work. They all come to us. Um, and seeing, you know, seeing how babies, um, even when they're sedated and then, you know, in an incubator, you know, connected to a, a ventilator and um, feeding tubes and IV stuff, even if they're not even opening their eyes, I am not kidding. They do better when their parents are visiting them at their bedside. Not every baby has visitors, which is sad. But, and I tell parents just to help them feel empowered. Like I'm like, just be here with your baby. I know you can't hold them right now, but I swear to you they will do better if you're here with them. They feel that love. It is divine. It is incredible. Um, my husband and I have, I feel like, love is healed. Our marriage, we've gotten to start again. And I'm so thankful for the pain that we went through. Um, and being able to, like, just have this program to rely on, to remind myself, you know, aren't you grateful? Aren't you grateful? Aren't you grateful every day? That has helped me through a lot of stress we've been through in the last two years. Um, you know, just reconciling after an affair and sobriety. Uh, is not easy, and um, you know, making sure I'm not taking his inventory helps me a lot because I am very good at doing that. Um, you know, remembering like what I what do I have control over? I got the Serenity Prayer to remind me of that. I have a sponsor who can remind me of that, um, and I'm still, you know, I'm still slowly, you know seeing what it feels like to not to understand I'm not in control of my children either. It's really hard for me. Um, they're young. They're um, eight, almost four, and then I have this two-month-old. And you have a very willful toddler. I can't make her repeat on the potty. <laughs> I wish I could. But she doesn't want to. And I'm so thankful I can just say, you know what? It's in God's hands. She'll do it in her own time. Um, gosh, I'm not sure how much time I have left. Um, but um, I'll just point out some like beautiful God moments. Um, well, we went to moved to New York City uh, a year and a half ago, and um, yeah, not an easy place to live. We lived right in the middle of the city in a fifth-floor walk-up in a 450-square-foot apartment with two kids and two dogs, and um. Man, I could not have done that if I wasn't over. That was for sure. Um, and uh, I'm able now, um, you know, to to look at these, like, to, to recognize, you know, angels that are in my life. You know, angels and, like, magical little moments that happen um, out, of the, out of the ordinary. And I'll think to myself, yep, thank you for that. That's got me through today, you know. Um, we had these darling, darling neighbors in our building. People would, people kept telling us, like, oh, you know, you won't have friendly neighbors and you're, no one's friendly there. We met some sweet people. I'm telling you what. Um, we met some sweet people in New York City. I mean, everyone's busy, but we saw people very helpful. Um, we saw people that knew about where we lived, and I don't know, like, 
it's hard to explain because um, it, it is a very cold place, <laughs> kind of, you know, cold, emotional, but, but even still, I don't know, we just, we just felt like the sense of community there on some level. It was interesting. Um, nonetheless, I did not want to stay there. Um, so we uh, found out we were having this third baby and we moved home. And um, I don't know, I, I really believe all of that was like divinely inspired. We It did us a world of good to get away from our hometown and be in this amazing city. Our kids loved it. Uh, so many blessings came with it. And I was, you know, in being sober, able to recognize and appreciate those blessings and focus on what was so positive and carry that with us. Um, I don't know. I really have, I, I could just talk for days about the miracles and the the beautiful things that happen in sobriety. And it just gets better every year. Um, you know, I recently realized I've, because I haven't been too strong going to meetings um, because I had this baby and I was in New York. I didn't go to meetings a whole, whole lot. Um, but I was really realizing, like, man, I'm I'm so full of anger. And, you know, it used to be normal for me to be full of anger and be kind of in a dark place a lot. But now that I live in so much sunshine and love uh, and sobriety, that feels foreign to me, and I know that that's wrong for me, and that's not what I want. And I have tools now, you know, to get out of that dark hole. Um, I can call into a meeting. I can call my sponsor. I can call a friend in recovery or just text them. I can reach out to someone and say, how are you doing? You know, that gets me out of my dark hole. Um, I can go to a meeting in my hometown. There's so many tools. You know, I can just, you know, read life with hope. I can listen to an inspiring talk by Wayne Dyer, who I love, um, on YouTube, or my Marianne Williamson audiobook, Return to Love. There's so many tools now I have to cope with life. I didn't have these tools growing up, but I have them now. And, you know, I can hopefully share them with my children. I sure hope so. I'm so afraid of making them crazy. I'm so afraid of um, of them becoming addicts, to be honest. But I sat on my hands, and if they if they go down that road, I'll be here to help them. Um, anyway, kind of rambling, but I'm going to stop for now, and I really appreciate you letting me share tonight. Uh, it actually helps me to talk about all this, and I hope it helps you all, too. Thank you.